This is a sermon from New City Presbyterian Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. To learn more about New City or to hear more sermons in this series, visit newcitycincy.org. Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 17, verses 32 to 50. It's found on page 240 in the Bibles in your rows if you'd like to turn there and follow along as I read. 1 Samuel 17, starting in verse 32. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped a sword over his armor. And he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine saw and looked and saw David, he disdained him. For he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistines arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone, and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. 
This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. God. Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome uh, again. I'll give, add my welcome to everyone else's welcome. My name is Michael Prevatera. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here and serve as a campus minister at Xavier University. I'm uh, glad you're here with us this morning. Uh, a few weeks ago, my daughter, Margot, was watching The Wizard of Oz for the very first time. She's four, so she's, I don't think she's seen it before, but at least she not, doesn't remember it. So let's put it that way. Uh, and I, you know, I've seen it a million times, so I wasn't watching it. It was just kind of on in the background. And I happened to walk in right as the cowardly lion was discussing the thing he most wanted, which was courage. And uh, he says this. He says, what makes a king out of a slave? Courage. What makes the flag on the mast to wave? Courage. What makes the elephant charge its tusk in the misty mist or dusty dusk? Courage. What makes the muskrat guard his musk? Courage. What makes the hot and tot so hot? What puts the ape in apricot? What have they got that I ain't got? Courage. It's a silly song, right? It's a, a, a silly idea that a lion would be a coward, but I think a lot of us can actually relate to the lion's plight. I doubt many of you feel very courageous most days. You just probably don't get out of bed feeling ready to go. I mean, if you're like me, you hit snooze a few times uh, and or, do not want to face the day some days. Uh, and, in, and in fact, I'm willing to bet that for many of us, for the last few years, fear has probably been more of a constant in our lives than courage. Now that's fear of disease, living through a pandemic, uh, fear of our neighbors, fear of a bad economic situation, fear for our children, fear for our country, fear of war, fear of expressing your own opinion or your values. Fear has been kind of in the air and ever-present around us, hasn't it? And we also live in a strange time when those who stand up and stand out tend to be punished or maligned rather than hailed as courageous. Conformity is a lot easier. Convenience is a lot easier. Courage is hard. And courage is in short supply in both our culture and the church. But a lot of us still want it, and we still admire it. I know that I do. I want to be courageous. I want to be courageous for Jesus. I want to see our city and streets and people's lives transformed by God and his kingdom. How do you find that courage then? Whether that's to change uh, the world around you or just life in your office or in your home. How do you find the courage to make major life changes in your own life, especially when it might require you to admit that things aren't okay? How do you find courage to endure and overcome just major challenges that life throws at you? Well, in this morning's passage, David is a model of courage. We're reading about David these past few weeks and the weeks to come because David's story arc is one of the longest and most extensive in the Bible. Other than Jesus, there's more ink spilled about David um, than any, any other character in the biblical story. He is considered one of the greatest kings and leaders of Israel. Uh, He was a man who dealt with God through all of life's ups and downs. Uh, A lot of the scripture actually was written by David. He wrote a a lot of psalms, a a vast majority of the psalms. Um, And so from David, we can learn a lot about what it means to be human and what it means to be a person after God's own heart. And so today we're asking the question, how can you have courage in the face of impossible odds? 
1 Samuel 17, which Grace just read for us, is a, is a pretty familiar story, uh, even if you've not been in church for a long time. So let's dig in and see what courage looks like, and then what the source of our courage ought to be. So, uh, be like David, and you can face your giants. I'm, I'm joking a little bit with that. It's probably, if you've ever heard a story or a Sunday school lesson or a sermon uh, on this passage, it's probably a good summary of it, is to be like David, and you can face your giants. And as overly a simplistic reading of the text as that is, it's not totally wrong, actually. Uh, it's one of the reasons this story is so popular. So David and Goliath was one of my favorite Bible stories as a kid. Even though we didn't really read the Bible as my family, I just knew the story from Sunday school, and so it was one of my favorites. Uh, it's been one of my kids' favorite stories. There are children's books devoted uh, to just this tale. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell even wrote a book called David and Goliath about underdogs and uh, misfits in the art of battling giants. He wrote this about 10 years ago. It's a simple story of good versus evil. It taps into all these things we like, the underdog victory and impossible circumstances, the hero story, and there's even a giant. It's pretty cool. Uh, So our our reading started mid-story, so we missed a little bit of the setup. So let me go back. But in verses 1 to 13, we are told that this all takes place in the Valley of Elah, a valley west of Jerusalem. There's a map here. It's really not a helpful map. It's kind of helpful. West of Jerusalem, valley. Uh, kind of get the idea there. But the longtime enemies of Israel, the Philistines, have been on the march. And here, on, they come to this valley, and on opposite hillsides, uh, both armies have taken their stand. And for the past 40 days, every day, out from the ranks of Philistia steps a giant. Now, when I say giant, think Andre the giant, or for, for you Gen Xers. Uh, for you younger folks, think Hagrid. Uh, and don't think like Jack and the Beanstalk or the BFG. Uh, that's a little too big. Think like nine foot ish, ten ish foot tall. A big dude, basically, uh, but not 30, 40 feet tall. Andre the giant. Um, and for 40 days, he has stepped out. And every day, Goliath of Gath taunts the Israelites. And he says, hey, why bother using your whole army? Am I not Philistine enough for you? Send out your best fighter and let's rumble. Mano y mano. Right, winner takes all. I challenge you and your so-called God. And so he challenges the Israelites to single combat. Now Saul, the king of Israel, who himself is pretty tall, he's he's supposed to be head and shoulders above everyone else in Israel, and all the other soldiers lose hope, and everything comes to a standstill. Now enter David, the shepherd boy. Uh, And I say boy because David is a youth at this point. Saul describes him as a youth, and he's young. He's been out tending his flock And one day, his father Jesse said to him, Hey, buddy, why don't you go take your brothers um, some snacks? They've been been out with Saul fighting the Philistines for a while. They're probably getting hungry. So he sends David on this errand to deliver an ancient care package uh, to his three brothers who are fighting with Saul. And so David goes down to the battlefield, and he happens to hear Goliath making his usual taunts. And David is ticked. He's ticked off. He's you know, he's this young kid, he's full of energy and passion and hope. Um, and he says, who does this guy think he is to defy the armies of the living God? Are we going to let this blowhard insult us and our God? It's kind of like a hold my beer moment. Um, 
I'm going to take care of this. Now, David's a kid, so he doesn't drink beer, so neither should you kids. Um, just know that. But hold my beer. And David's brothers are like, who's this little punk think he is? He should be back with the sheep. This is no place for our dumb little brother. What is he doing here? And now King Saul oh, hears this commotion in the camp. He hears of David's gusto, and he sends for him. And I'm not, you're not really sure why Saul sends for David, because Saul knows who David is. If you think back to last week, we read about uh, David coming and playing music to soothe King Saul when he was in the midst of depression. So he, Saul knows who he is. He knows he's a kid. At the same time, Saul is probably desperate at this point. It's been over a month, and this battle has been just kind of at a standstill. And so maybe Saul's thinking, well, we'll send him out there, and at least we'll get this over with. Um, he's probably going to lose, but at least we won't be out here anymore. We can get back to normal life, sort of. Well, so David's still full of courage and confidence, even after Saul points out that he's just a boy, and Goliath is, well, a giant warrior who's been fighting for a long time. But David is not deterred by any of this. I mean, Saul sort of tries to talk him out of it, and David's still not deterred. Uh, and David says, I've been keeping my daddy's sheep safe from lions and bears for years, and God has seen me through it. Let me at this heathen Goliath, and God will keep me safe against him too. And Saul's like, well, if we're not going to turn him, let's at least give him some armor. We can help him out. And they try on the armor, and it's too big for David. He's just a kid, right? And so David shrugs off Saul's armor and heads up to the battlefield with just his staff, a sling, and five smooth stones. You could picture this, right? This beardless, awkward, tweenish, teen, young teen David walking out into this battlefield, just a stick and a sling, basically. And you can almost see Goliath doubling over in laughter, slapping his knees at the ridiculousness of this boy being the champion that Israel is sending out. Um, I, have a, I have a 13-year-old son. I'm trying to picture him going up against some 10-foot-tall guy. It's, it's pretty absurd to think about. And Goliath is like, fine, bring it. I'll make mincemeat out of you. You're going to be dog food by the time I'm done, Israel. And then comes David's speech. This is pretty, pretty important, famous speech. But David shouts back, you think you're big and strong? Well, I come to you in the name of the Lord, the God of angel armies, and he's going to make me win. I'm going to cut off your head and make you and your buddies roadkill. And everyone will know it is the Lord who saves. And then... David reaches into his bag and pulls out a stone and puts it in his sling and slings it right at Goliath. And it hits Goliath square in the forehead. And he stumbles and he, boom, falls face down in the dirt. And we didn't read this part, but if you read on just a few verses later, uh, past verse 50, little David runs up and he grabs Goliath's sword and he cuts off his head, decapitates Goliath. and, And they take the head of Goliath back to Jerusalem with them. This is a Caravaggio painting. It's a pretty famous painting. There's lots of images of of this young boy holding a giant's head that's been depicted in art over the years. And the Philistine army sees this, and they are in complete shock, and they turn and run for their lives. Now, if that's not courage, I don't know what is. I mean, it's really inspiring, isn't it? This, this story of this young boy going up against great evil. Uh, we don't hear a lot of stories about courageous young men these days, do we? If anything, I think we hear too many stories of young men who are aimless and directionless and hopeless and choose to do terrible, 
senseless uh, violence against innocents, like uh, to make a name for themselves. And I think about Buffalo or Uvalde or Highland Park. We hear too many stories of young men doing terrible things. And we read about too many abusive men in Hollywood or politics or even in the church. We don't hear a lot of stories about good men, courageous men anymore. Many men today, it seems, lack virtue and courage to do what's right. Uh, I, I, uh, I never had a really close relationship with my dad, and I still don't. And so trying to figure out what it means to be a man has always been one of those things that I've wrestled with. Um, kind of had to do it by myself for a long time. And I remember um, when I became a father of not one but two boys, I was hit with the thought, oh, man, I have to figure out how to help these young boys become men. And I don't even know what that means. I'm not sure I know what that looks like, but I know I don't want my boys to grow up to be bad dudes. Like, I want them to be good men. And that's really hard in the kind of our current cultural climate where we don't have a lot of models for good men anymore. Some of them, even in our own families, we don't have models for good men. You know, for a long time, you had the, the John Wayne type was the model for manhood earlier in, this, in the last century. Um, the, the stoic man in control of his destiny, unfazed by whatever... And that leads to all kinds of problems. That's not entirely healthy, right? Uh, but now, what, are we, what kind of men do we see? It's more like a Homer Simpson type model of manhood, right? Men who are screw-ups and goofballs, um, or just men who are afraid. Uh, one of the things I hated, so I, I, I did not like Disney's Obi-Wan series, for those of you who have seen it. If you love it, I apologize, but I did not like it at all. Um, Six episodes, I felt like I'll never get those hours of my life back. But one of the things I hated about it was that most of the episodes featured Ewan McGregor, who plays Obi-Wan Kenobi, um, running and being scared. That was like five out of six episodes, was him on the run being afraid. This Obi-Wan Kenobi, one of the greatest Jedis, running and being afraid. And I understand that, like, Obi-Wan is wrestling with just shame and guilt about Anakin Skywalker and all the drama of his apprentice going to the dark side and whatnot. But you know what? I am not watching Star Wars for a realistic portrayal of humanity and what it means to be in the galaxy. Like, I'm watching it for lightsaber battles and the Force. And so, it's an escape. And so the fact that five of these episodes feature a great hero just scared and on the run, I mean, that's fine for one episode, but five was overkill. Um, Obi-Wan, why are you scared? You have a lightsaber. You have the force. But this is kind of where we're at. Even our own, our models of heroism, and a lot of times are reduced to cowardice and fear. We see more cowardly Sauls or blowhard uh, evil Goliaths portrayed in our culture than we do images of courageous men, young men. And so David's courage, I think, is really inspiring, especially for us men. And I'm speaking to men specifically right now because one of our tendencies, and a lot of guys, you can admit this, one of our tendencies is, is passivity and laziness. I will be honest about that. And so David is a good model for courage in a world of bad models. David is the man who will one day write in Psalm uh, 31, be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. 
And Paul, the apostle, later calls Christians this type of courage when he writes in 1 Corinthians 16, uh, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. And I know um, this story is very man-centered, and a lot of what I'm saying is very man-centered. At the same time, this is not just a man thing. Uh, the Bible is also full of examples of courageous women who often show more courage than the men in their lives. I think of J.L., who uh, destroyed the general, tent pe- uh, the general Cicero with a tent peg um, by driving a tent peg into his head while he was asleep. So J.L., this is in the book of Judges. Or Deborah, the judge who led the armies of Israel. Or Mary Magdalene, who was not afraid to be associated with Jesus even at the cross and was one of the first witnesses of the resurrection. Or the evangelist Priscilla. Or Phoebe, the servant of the church. And church history is full of stories of women and men who stood firm for Christ, even under impossible odds. You can read some of the the stories of the saints and the martyrs throughout history, and you see courageous women and men. And so we need more people to be courageous for what is good and right and just in the world. So biblical courage is not just a man thing. Men, we do need to be reminded of this especially, but courage is a Christian thing. Courage is to be the mark of all of God's people, men and women. Now, you might be asking, okay, I like this, this sounds good. How do I get this type of courage? Where does it come from? Where does David get his courage? Does he just muster it up? Did he work out in the gym a lot? Is he doing testosterone replacement therapy or something like that? Is it willpower? Where do you get this type of courage? No. Look at what David says in verse 37. He says, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. Or verses 45 and 46, he says, You come to me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. David doesn't have confidence and courage because he's big or strong or has a good resume or comes from a good family. In fact, he is, it's all the opposite for David. He has courage because he knows who his champion is. The Philistines' champion is Goliath. Israel's champion is not David, but it is the Lord who's actually doing the fighting. The Lord, Yahweh, the God who created the universe and delivered the Jewish people from 400 years of slavery in Egypt. That's who David's champion is. That's who is fighting for him. And David also knows that God has already claimed him. Uh, Remember just a few weeks ago, we read about the time when Samuel came to David's dad, and the Lord told Samuel to anoint one of Jesse's sons as king of Israel, because uh, the Lord had actually rejected Saul because of his disobedience and faithlessness. And, And so the Lord chooses David to be anointed as king, the future king of Israel. And Samuel anointed him with oil as a coronation ceremony, and then God's spirit rushed upon David to empower him for his mission and calling. So David knows that God has already claimed him and marked him as his own. And David knows that ultimately his victory will lead to not his glory, but God's glory. He says, All the earth may know that there is a God in Israel 
That's why he's doing this, that all the earth would know that there is a God in Israel. And that this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. This is all part of his speech to the Goliath. And that's why David has courage. He knows who God is. He knows that God has claimed him. And he knows that God's spirit is with him wherever he goes. And so he knows that the battle is ultimately the Lord's. And yet, um, if you know all of David's story, you know it doesn't end well. This story ends on a high note. But if you keep reading through the Bible, uh, you know his story doesn't end well. Even David, who knows God intimately, who writes these beautiful psalms of poetry and worship to God, um, he knows God's power in his life, his story actually ends a lot more like Saul's than what you'd expect from just reading this chapter. Because David will eventually take his place as king over Israel. And like many kings, he'll be tempted to put his trust in numbers and equipment. And one of the things that the scriptures tell us he does is he takes a census of all of his troops and equipment. And he does this not just for information or planning purposes, but for pride and a place to put his hope in rather than God. And then David will end up a peeping Tom who desires the wife of one of his faithful soldiers, takes her, gets her pregnant, um, and then has her husband murdered on the battlefield to cover up his sin. And David will end his days impotent, powerless, and his family in complete disarray. So, in a lot of ways, don't be like David, right, at all. You, you, You don't want to be like David. Uh, He certainly is an example of faith in 1 Samuel 17, but David is not enough. Even up against Goliath, David is not enough. David, in this story, is an example, but he's not the hero. It's David's Lord who is the hero. David wins this battle because God is the one who wins. If God is not with him, David would not win this battle. And the truth is, you and I are not enough either. We are not the hero. We need a champion to fight for us, and we need that champion's power to have courage to face the impossible odds in our world, in our lives. David's victory here is just a foreshadowing of the things to come. Because what will happen a thousand years from David, we read about in the New Testament, is that a son from David's line shows up in Israel. His name is Jesus. This is what the, if you read the genealogies in Matthew and Luke's gospel, this long list of begats and names and people who had kids, they're tracing Jesus' heritage back through the line of David, Abraham, Old Testament prophets, right? Patriarchs. Jesus, in his humanity, was descended from David as the true son of David, as the better David who would sit on the throne of David forever. And Jesus didn't just fight a Philistine giant, but he came to fight the dragon, the ancient serpent, Satan, and the full weight of universal human sin and darkness. And like David... His weapons were meager, not sticks or a sling, but love and healing and truth and ultimately two crossed beams of wood 
upon which he would be crucified. The dragon, the devil, who brought death into the world was defeated by the death of the only begotten son. Much like David defeated Goliath ultimately with his own weapon, the Lord Jesus Christ did the same thing by defeating death by death. Death by death was trampled down. But that death couldn't hold Christ down because on the third day he was raised to life and now he offers us true life and freedom in a life found uh, following him. Christian, this is your God. This is your hero, not David. Uh, David's not your champion, not yourself, not your resume, not your achievements. Christ must be your champion. And the truth is, if you are a follower of God, he has claimed you. God has claimed you. You're not just, as a, not just a servant, but a child, a son or daughter of the king of the universe. And if this is you, if you are a follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit has been given to you. The Holy Spirit has rushed upon you as well. You have been claimed, and God is with you too. We, collectively and then individually, are the dwelling places of God's Spirit to give us understanding, to teach us, to give us gifts, freedom from sin, renewal, cleansing, life, and ultimately courage as well. God has already won the biggest battle in all of the universe and all of human history, and we now live 2,000 years on the other side of that battle. And we wait for a day when Christ will defeat all the lingering outposts of evil in the world. And so we can face death without fear because we know that it doesn't have the last words. There's uh, stories in the ancient church of various people going up before Roman authorities and governors and uh, with, with facing death even with courage. And so the same is true for us too. Is there a situation in your life where God is calling you to be courageous? Is there a person God is calling you to have courage in speaking to? Is there, is there something that you need to do that God's calling you to do where you need courage well, whatever it is, know that the battle is the Lord's. Let Christ be the source of your courage. Let the gospel be the story of your life. You let your hope in the resurrection of the dead give you the type of courage to say what needs to be said or to defend the weak or to seek justice or to stand against evil when we see it at work in the world. It might be costly. Right? David had to essentially risk his life to go up against Goliath. But like David, God has your back. Jesus is on your side. Jesus is your champion. The battle belongs to the Lord. And so, as David writes, be strong and let your heart take courage, all you who wait for the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, our King, our champion, our victor, the one who rescued us from sin and death, the one who, who put to death meaningless and evilness in the world, the one who is coming again to make all things new. Lord, we confess that so often we forget. We forget that you are real. We forget that you have given us your spirit. We forget that you have a mission and purpose for this world and for our lives. And so often, Lord, we just allow ourselves to drift along. 
Lord, we pray that by your spirit that you would empower us in this church uh, for your work in the world, that you would give us the courage to do the things that you're calling us each to in different ways, big or small. And ultimately, Lord, we pray that you'd make us people that have a heart of courage like David here to know that the battle is the Lord, that you uh, do not fight with sword or spear or javelin, uh, but you fight uh, alongside us the power of your spirit. Lord, help us, we pray. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and champion. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from New City, a church in Cincinnati, Ohio. Visit our website at newcitycincy.org for more sermons and resources. That's newcitycincy.org. Thanks for joining us today, and God bless you.